Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. To the Gospel record of Luke and chapter number 22. The Gospel record of Luke and chapter number 22. We've been going through the Gospel record of Luke and we've been watching the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've been going through... the gospel record of Luke, we've been seeing as Jesus Christ has now made himself his way into Jerusalem. And there he has made a triumphant entry. He's preached every day at the temple. He's been dealing with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees have now crossed a line where they are planning to kill Jesus. Now they didn't know how because they didn't want to uh, disturb the crowds. And that's where Judas Iscariot came in. That Judas Iscariot came and made a deal and said, I'm going to deliver Jesus in a time where the crowds aren't there, where you could arrest him and have no problems and have um, and be able to snag him. Meanwhile, Jesus Christ is also practicing observed the Passover. And as all these people in Jerusalem showed up, a miracle of miracles happened that there was a large room that was available when everything else was sold out. And they met together to observe the Lord's Supper. And you would almost imagine as they observed the Lord's Supper and Jesus gave the instructions of the Lord's Supper, do these things in remembrance of me. You would almost expect that as the disciples are taking these things to heart and feeling the mood, that they would be ready to serve God. Unfortunately, the opposite has happened. And we find our way to the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 22. The gospel record of Luke chapter 22, and notice with me in verse number 24. The gospel record of Luke chapter 22, and notice with me in verse 24. And there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. He that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they that continue with me in my temptation. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a frightening phrase, especially in the context of what has happened? Notice with me in Luke chapter 22 and verse 24. Luke 22 and verse 24. Notice the phrase, strife among them. Strife among them. And with the Lord's help, we're going to hit this message here about what's following immediately after Jesus gives the instructions of the Lord's Supper. And this phrase here, and what's happening, strife among them. 
If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, I'm just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy. Give us understanding, Lord, as we examine this passage and see it in its context and see how it broke your heart. That we would reflect upon ourselves and that we would respond to you properly. Lord, I'm very conscious I need you now, your wisdom. I need to be filled with your spirit. I want you to direct your people the way that you see fit. I just want to be a vessel available for you. So I surrender to what my plans, my ideas, my ambitions, my goals. Lord, glorify your own self through your word and help us to respond properly to you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To really get the impact of what is happening here, we must refer to context. Jesus Christ has gathered his disciples. The date is Wednesday, Thursday on March 30th to April 1st of AD 30. Remember that the Jewish day began at sunset. So even though it's not midnight where we would trigger a new day, because it's sunset, a new day is passed. And now it is going to be the day where Jesus Christ is going to be crucified upon the cross on April 1st of AD 30. Jesus Christ knows that he is going to the cross. He knows in a few hours he is going to be betrayed. In fact, Judas has already left. Judas is gone. Jesus Christ knows what's going to happen. He knows in a few hours he is going to be arrested, put on a false trial. People are going to be lying against him. He's going to be beaten, battered, scourged. He's going to be put on a cross. He is going to die for the sins of the whole world. Jesus knows this. He also knows that his disciples are going to be weak in their faith. He knows that they're going to abandon him. He knows that they're struggling spiritually. He is at the place where Jesus Christ knows that the most important event of all of history is occurring in a matter of hours. And his disciples are clueless. His disciples are worrying about other things. And Jesus' heart is broken because he just gets through teaching them. He has the Lord's Supper and says, do this in remembrance of me. And immediately, the disciples' mind goes somewhere other than spiritual things. The first thing we bring to your attention is their wasted argument. Their wasted argument. Notice with me in verse 24. And there was also a strife among them of which of them should be accounted greatest. So here's the context. Jesus is just finishing the last supper. And as he's finishing the last supper, he's he's telling them to take this bread and it is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this cup and drink. It is of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And he's saying, I'm going to die to the cross and you're going to remember this event. Boys, I'm trying to tell you that you need to be right with God. You need to be as close to God as possible. You need to examine yourselves that this is a big deal. And right, right after he's done with this, he takes a pause And they take this idea of pause where they talk among themselves and immediately start fighting who's going to be the greatest. I'm going to be greatest. Peter says, no, listen, I'm the one of the group that is the leader. You always push me in front, make me talk to Jesus. I'm going to be the greatest. John the beloved is saying, wait a second. 
I'm the most beloved disciple. He loves me more than everyone else. I'm going to be the greatest. The other disciples said, why do you have to always be the lead? Why can't I? And they're fighting among themselves. Notice the word, it says strife. This idea of strife among them. They're fighting among themselves. An argument broke out. Let me show you a principle. Hold your finger here. We're coming back here. But let's take a quick pit stop in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 13. And let's see this principle here. Proverbs chapter 13. So his disciples begin to have strife among themselves. The idea of strife carries the idea of an argument, uh, a dispute, great friction, an idea of hostility. Let's see where this comes from. The book of Proverbs chapter number 13. And notice with me in verse number 10. Proverbs 13 and verse 10. Notice the very first word, only. Now, whenever you see a definitive word like this, this is a big deal. Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride. What is pride? A false view of oneself. It's when you're looking at yourself too much. Only by pride cometh forth contention. This idea of contention is similar to strife. Do you know that any time that we get in an argument with someone, it's by, because of pride? Whenever we feel like someone's not understanding us and we feel that we have to explain ourselves, you know where that comes from? Pride. You know, if someone's trying to correct you and you have the need to try to talk to them back and say, no, 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 let me... That's pride. By the way, we're all guilty of it. There's a need inside of us that we feel that we have to make people see that how right we are. That's pride. And pride causes all kinds of friction and strife. Think about some of the arguments that you've gone in. And think of some of the unnecessary wasted arguments that you want that you just felt like you had to prove to them that you were right. Why? Because I don't want them to look bad on me. Why? We, if you look, the Bible says only by pride cometh contention. Every argument you've ever been in is because of pride. You felt like you needed to be right. You needed to prove to them that you're right. You needed to show them and convince them that you had the right position the whole time. That's your arguments. The Bible talks about Corinthians take the wrong. So what? You know what? We'd be better served if somebody's upset and starts talking to us instead of us defending ourselves. For us to listen to what they say. Let them talk it out. And then say thank you for bringing this to my attention. I'll try to do better on it. Rather than. Nuh-uh. Listen here. I did my best. Let me tell you what I was trying to do. Do you think they really care about what you were trying to do? No. Not at all. What happens is that arguments dissipate when you say. You know what? You're right. You know what? Thank you for bringing this to attention. You know what? I didn't see this in myself before. I'll notice this. You know what? I don't quite think that you have the right information, but you know what? Let me go ahead and check into this. Why not? Only by pride cometh forth contention. 
And what we have is the discipleships who are now full of pride. Now, that's the, that's the heartbreaking thing. Jesus just observed the Lord's Supper. He's trying to get him across that the most significant event of all of human history is hours away. And they're full of pride. I'm greater than you. I'm better than you. Jesus loves me better than you. He likes me. I'm going to have a better. You know how heartbreaking that is? Especially since Jesus just solved this argument months ago in Luke chapter 9. They had the same argument. He settled it. And they're arguing about the same thing again. So not only are they arguing about something that Jesus has already settled. It's on the most important event. The day of the most important event. Jesus knows that the next couple of hours are going to be very strenuous. And are going to require them to be spiritually right with God. And instead, they're wasting their time who's greater. And it's all pride. For someone, of course Jesus is all wisdom and discernment. Could you imagine how discouraging that is when you are trying to, when you know you're going to go into the biggest spiritual battle of your life and those around you who are trying to encourage you are not looking towards the Lord but looking at themselves. It sucks out all the thing of the room. It becomes more discouraging. You know what this is? This is more spiritual warfare upon Jesus. You know, Jesus is fixing to die for their sins. And his biggest supporters are now full of pride. Now, Jesus is perfect. But if you were in Jesus' spot and you were going to die for these jokers who are now ignored everything you just said and now are being a discouragement, man, if they won't support you in your biggest hour, is it worth it? Of course it is, but I'm looking at it from human perspective. Man, nothing like when you're getting engaged in a big spiritual warfare or a big spiritual victory. You're in a big fight and those around you suck the energy out. Turn on. I remember when I was a young man, I think before I was called to preach, maybe right about that same time, <clears throat> that we were having a great revival in our church. I think it was Paul Swanky was there. And it was great meetings. People were getting saved. People were getting right with God. It was amazing. And right after the revival, and when I mean right after, I mean people are shaking hands and, and uh, people are still being dealt with. A young man went to the pastor. Looked at the pastor and said, Hey, this is good stuff. I'm going to a movie tonight. Can I bring your kids? After a spiritual revival. I mean, things are happening. And someone goes up and says, at the big revival when people are supposed to be spiritually minded, hey, I'm going to go watch a movie tonight. Can I take your kids? The kids were teenagers. and To watch the pastor's face just turn. You know, he's excited. He's watching people get decisions and, and everything. And then someone with no discernment, full of pride, just sucked all that victory out. They can do whatever they want. He didn't want them to go, but they're older teenagers. Oh, just, you know, just sucked everything out. 
Let me tell you, I didn't enjoy that movie the whole time just looking at my pastor's face after I broke his heart. Sucked all that energy out of the room. Never forget it. Wow. Just to see that high victory and it just turned to a big defeat. Like everything that, that happened that week was just wasted. Jesus is trying to get the troops rallied. Trying to get them prepared. And it just sucked out. Wasted everything. Because of pride. And an argument that Jesus Christ had already solved. And they're striving. Who's going to be the greatest. Jesus just said I'm going to die to the cross. And you're talking about this. I'm going to die in a couple hours. Do you even notice Judas is gone? He didn't say any of that. But could you imagine all this is happening and you guys are lacking discernment? You're missing the bigger picture here because you're looking at yourself. Oh, how often pride gets in the way. That we're having a great spiritual victory or there's a spiritual battle that people may not be seeing because they're looking at themselves. When they should have been praying. And they should have been saying what can I do to support. Oh Lord this is great. What can I do to help keep this going. No they look at themselves. And turn that big victory. Into a defeat. What a heartbreaking thing. Again the context is so important. This wasn't just an argument that happened. And it happened often. It happened in the most significant day. Of all of human history. The time where Jesus needed the most encouragement. His biggest supporters are looking at themselves. Their wasted argument. Which brings us to the heart of their thing. Their wanted authority. Jesus now explains what's going on. Verse 25. And he, Jesus said to them, the disciples, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. Jesus explains to them and patiently taught them. And aren't you glad that he's patient with us? He said, the world, the Gentiles, they're all about authority. About who do I have authority over? Who serves me? How big is my empire? How big is my kingdom? What can I do to have, have more power, more authority? What can I do to be number one? What can I, that's what the world looks for. And if we're not careful, we try to do the same thing. That's looking at ourselves. How can I be bigger and better? How can people look at me? How can people respect me more? How can people acknowledge how great I am? How can, and it's all about ourselves. That's what he's saying is that that's what Gentiles do. That's what the world does is they look at themselves over and over. How great I am. How people should acknowledge me. How people should treat me different. How people should. It's all about me. He says, but ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief doth serve. He says, you should be different. You should be like a younger person. What is a younger person expected to do? They're expected to serve the older person out of a sign of respect. 
He says you should serve. You shouldn't be looking who's the greatest, who's the greatest of authority, who's the greatest of valor. You should be trying to find who can I serve? How can I be the biggest servant? What can I do to minister to others? Verse 27. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you he that serveth. And Jesus says, listen, the greatest in your minds is who is sitting at the table and people serving him. However, the way that you serve should be serving. That's going to be the greatest. Then what's going to happen is that it's going to go over to the gospel record of John. And Jesus Christ is going to take a serving towel. And Jesus, as an example, comes and washes everyone's feet. Isn't Jesus God of the universe? Isn't he the king of the the coming millennial kingdom where everyone's going to rule and reign? And here's the king of the universe washing the feet in a humiliating position. The washing of the feet was only set aside for the lowest servant in the household. It was for the lowest ranking person. Because it's a humiliating thing to wash someone's feet. Stinking, nasty, garbage, collecting, just nasty things. And Jesus here, as an example, because of this argument, says, let me give you an example of what to do. And Jesus, who is their master. You know, inside of the gospel records, whenever Jesus is referred to by a follower, it is never with Jesus by himself. They always call him Lord or Master. Never just by a familiar name. Lord, Master, The Lord Jesus Christ is his full title used throughout the rest of the Bible. They never just call him Jesus. Lord, Master, Teacher. And they have all these titles for Jesus. And yet, their Master serves them in the most humbling service that can be done at that time. Imagine what it would be like just getting in a fight about who's the greatest. And Jesus says, let me give you a teaching of this. And he washes your feet. Your master. They had things backwards. No wonder Peter is tells in the gospel record of John that he says, Whoa, Lord, you're never going to wash me. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, then uh, I'm not part of you. And then he says, wash all of me. And he says, you're not getting it. The feeder's enough. This is an example here. I'm trying to wash your feet. And if I give this example, you do likewise. Think about the most humbling service you could do for someone today. Is that something you're known for? Or do you expect people to do it for you? The Bible says in Psalms, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. That's a pretty position that most people don't acknowledge, but to have someone opening up the door for people, that's, that's a service. It's normally not something that you think I'm going to do. Hey, I'm going to be the guy that holds the door and lets people in. No, you usually come in, find your seat, go get coffee, do whatever you do. But someone does it, serves others just by something that most people don't notice. So often we're all about taking care of us. And we don't look for ways to serve others. I mean, you could find ways to serve people that you like or people that you think need special care. 
What about everybody else? We're not good at serving others. I had a pastor friend of mine that he took the gifts that are listed in the Bible. And he put them down and he said, here's each one of them. What I want you to do is I want you to number them one through whatever else by the gift that you think is the most important. And what we'll do is we'll assign a value to it and we're going to try to rank them according to what you guys say. And at the very bottom of the list of the church that he was pastoring surprised him because very, at the very bottom, far above everything else, that the people thought the lowest gift that could be had was hospitality. What is hospitality? Serving. Greeting people, making people feel welcome. Looking for ways to let people who come in feel like they belong, that they're welcome. That's something that God's people are not good at and that's what Jesus said we should be majoring in. To be a servant. To let people feel welcome. If I could meddle for a second. Normally when we greet people. We greet people. I'm so glad to have you. Let me tell you about me. How great I am. How wonderful I am. The things that I do. Look at all the things. Even when we listen to people in the stories. So they start telling a story. And then we have to tell them another story to top them. Or add to an experience. Oh, I understand what you went through. I went through this too. Sound familiar? Yep. Yep. Because it's all about us. Instead of being quiet and allowing them and asking questions about them, learning about them, let them talk. Even if you have a better experience, why do you need to tell them? People want to be listened to. If we be honest, we don't like to listen to other people. We want them to listen to us. Sometimes being a big servant is just shutting up and letting people talk. And not adding our two cents. Not adding our opinions. You understand, we're trying to be practical here. And I'm trying to be, point out all of us. I've already admitted one of my big failures that I look back. When I failed my pastor, it's all about pride. It's not about serving others. Even when we deal with others, we try to find a way for them to be impressed with us. I'm so glad you've never met me before, but let me tell you about how great I am. Just so you know. What can we do to make them feel great? Now, we do do a good job that when visitors come in, we make sure they're not sitting alone. That's good. Most of you are pretty good at if they come in a little bit late, let's give them a songbook and let them know where they're at. That's good. If they don't have a bulletin, I've watched some of you get up and get a bulletin and hand to them. Good. What more can we do to make them feel like they are special? What can we do to find ways to serve people? I'm just putting a question out because our normal response is pride. And our normal response is to let people acknowledge how great we are. And by the end, by the time they walk out, they're going to like, I'm going to come back to that church because I met so-and-so. Let me tell you how wonderful they are. They did all these cool things. I want to go to church because of them. We have to be careful when we meet people. How can we serve them? You know, if we have the servant's heart, 
when the worst tasks come up, we'd be willing to volunteer to do those worst tasks instead of wait till the best task. What can we do to serve? What can we do to help others? The biggest servant wins according to what Jesus says. <coughs> when Napoleon, I've been reading a lot about Napoleon lately. When Napoleon was in prison on the island of St. Helena in the Atlantic, Napoleon reflected upon his career and upon the careers of his heroes. And he said this. He said, everything in him, which is Christ, astonishes me. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself, him speaking of Napoleon. He says, all of them, including us, founded empires. But what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. He said, Christ Jesus alone founded his empire on love. And to this house, millions of men would die for him. It's a pretty good observation as Napoleon at the end of his life and when he's already de defeated at Waterloo by Horatio Nelson and after he had conquered all of Europe, he said, you know what? I built my empire on force. He only lost seven battles in his entire military career. I built it on force. I beat everyone. He says, but it didn't last. Look, I'm in prison now. But Jesus Christ, he built his empire on love. And now millions of people would die for Christ because that empire is built on love. When Jesus built his spiritual kingdom now and then later on his physical kingdom, it's all built on what Jesus died, did for us. He served us by dying on the cross when he did not have to. He volunteered to go to the cross. That is the example of selflessness. The opposite of pride. He went through a painful experience to die for your sins and mine, to build a kingdom. What would happen instead of building our kingdom off of force and off of personality and off of popularity? We built the kingdom off love and serving others. You think that kingdom would stand? Exactly, because what Jesus Christ did. Instead of forcing people to believe like we did, why not love them to believe like we did? Living our life by force or living our life by faith? Making it happen or letting God do his own work? Jesus didn't just rebuke them, but he also left them here with encouragement. We see the last thing here, their waiting appointment. Their waiting appointment. Verse 28, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. He carries the idea of my trials. He's looking at the 11 that's left over and says, listen, everyone else is gone. You're with me. You're with me in my hour of need, my, my biggest hour. You're here at the Last Supper. Everyone else was dismissed. They're going 
to begin to walk to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ is going to teach his disciples from John 13 to John 16. He's going to be teaching them. Then finally in John 17, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus prays. And his disciples are there that's with him. These are, he says, listen, you guys are with me. I'm putting my trust in you. You're going to carry out my work. You've been with me during this time. Verse 29, And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed to me. Now, what he's saying is, listen, you don't have to worry about building your kingdom here. My Father is going to build a kingdom and I'm going to put you in charge. You're not going to put yourself in charge. I'm going to put you in charge. Notice what he said. Verse 29, uh, verse 30. That ye may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, of course, this is going to be in the millennial kingdom. And in the millennial kingdom, we have a government set up with Jesus as the head of the government. Everyone's going to answer to him. David, historical David, King David is going to be his regent, his second command. And then the ones who were overseeing the rulership of all of Israel is going to be the 12 disciples. And then we're going to follow under them to work and labor for them and our redeemed bodies. Remember that the millennial kingdom is a fulfillment of promises to the Hebrew people. And during that time, the Hebrew people who survived the tribulation are going to come in their natural bodies. And there are going to be lots of Hebrew people being born and nobody dying. Lots of people, that population is going to increase. And we're going to be part of Jesus' perfect government to help administrate these people in their natural bodies working in the perfect government. Jesus is going to put us in charge based of our faithfulness to him. May I say when we say faithfulness, our service to him? Not, look at how many people I want to the Lord, but rather the idea of this is how much I got to serve the Lord and my privilege to work for him. It's the idea of serving him, being obedient to him, putting ourselves where we're trying to minister to others and not try to put another notch in our belt, not trying to say how great we are, but being faithful in ministering to him. That Jesus has a position not just for the 12, but for us too. That he promised us that we'll rule and reign with him. But it is based off of our service to him are willing to do the menial tasks, the small things, so he builds his kingdom through love. As we come to this, we understand that the future promises in the millennial kingdom are all based of not our pride, but our service to him. Can we serve? And the greatest one will be the one who is the biggest servant here. So where are you on this? In your life, when you talk with people, are you the one that has to top the next story or to show how great you are or to give a great thing? Or do you find ways to serve people? You find ways to love people. Not for the idea of show. Not the idea that, hey, look, I'm the greatest doorkeeper ever. Acknowledge me as you walk in. Look at me. I'm doing a good job holding the door here. All right, someone pat me on the back. That's pride too. Jesus made himself of no reputation. That's so hard for us to do because we all want the pat in the back, the attaboy, that good job. Are you willing to do it even if nobody ever notices you do it? Are you willing to do those tasks even if nobody ever acknowledges your existence? 
That's the idea of serving Christ. That's the idea of finding ways to serve others. The task that nobody else wants. The task that needs to be done in order to love on others, to make them feel special, to make them feel loved, so they will accept Jesus who loves them as well. We live in a world that has an absence of love. So many people don't know what love is. And partially because no one has ever showed it to them. If somebody would show them true love, not what the world calls love, but what the Bible calls love, and us finding ways to serve others. Now, notice that it's not instant results when we serve people. Listen, I tied your shoe for you. You better accept me. It takes a while because they don't see love. And they don't recognize love. It takes them for a while to, for them to acknowledge that something different's happened. But when they do, it makes a big impact. If we're going to serve God, it's in the absence of flesh. In order for us to be filled with the Spirit, as we mentioned before, it starts with dying to self. When we die to self, what do we mean? We die to our ambitions, our goals, our desires, our need to get praised, our need to get acknowledged. We die to that. So it's all about Christ and all about Him. We know that this is something we can all work on and many of us can look back and see many of our failures. The good news is you don't have to beat yourself up about it. You start from where you are and move forward. Maybe some of you need to make a decision that said, Lord, I haven't been this type of servant before. Not only do I surrender myself to be a servant, I'm asking that you would show me who I can serve and how I can serve. Show me what this means. Understand that this is going to take a lot of dying to self, a lot of practice. Lord, it's not about me. Sometimes it's shutting our mouth. Maybe when we want to go tell the story about how great we are, or the great adventure, or the great thing that we did when we killed a bear with our bare hands and how we plowed the field by just putting our hands together and we plowed the field and just made... We have stories like that. It's not about us. It's not about us and we always make it about us let's learn how to serve with love and allow God to do the work thank you for listening to this audio message this is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. 
6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.